Once thought of as strictly a beer and schnitzel town, Berlin has reinvented itself as a foodie destination with an edgy art scene. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the podcast. I'm Brent Peterson. I'm your host. I'm also the founder of DestinationEatDrink.com, the travel website for foodies. Each week on the program, we take you to a different foodie location. I tell you what's great about the cuisine of that city and fun and interesting things to do while you're there. This week, Berlin, Germany place that's recently become a mecca for foodies flocking there for its street food and its traditional German comfort food. But before that, a quick slice of Berlin's history. And now, a history lesson. Oh, are we going to get tested on this? Can I borrow a pencil? On Destination Eat Drink. Humans have been around Berlin for at least 10,000 years, maybe longer. But Berlin, the city itself, wasn't founded until the 12th century. But it grew quickly, and by the 15th century, Berlin was the capital of the Prussian Empire. By the 16th century, it was the capital of the Kingdom of Germany. Of course, most people, when they think of Berlin, they think of its hard 20th century history with World War II, the Holocaust, and the Cold War. And those horrors of the 20th century will smack you right in the face when you go to visit Berlin. We'll talk about those sites that you can see uh, that relate to the Cold War and the Holocaust a little bit later on in the program. But for now, let's eat. What to eat? Hey. You gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. You know, it's funny, when people think of German food, they often think of it as something quintessentially German. In other words, it's ingredients from Germany, prepared by German people, eaten by German people, end of story. But the fact of the matter is, in Berlin... A lot of the most popular dishes are either a mishmash of ingredients coming from other places or strictly imported from other places. And the most interesting example to me is a dish called currywurst, which is probably the most popular street food in Berlin. In the 1940s, after Germany had been completely bombed out and reduced to rubble by the Allies and by the Red Army, uh, the western part of the city, West Berlin, was being rebuilt with the help of British soldiers, French soldiers, and American soldiers who were occupying the city. They tried to reconstruct, rebuild the city, and all of those workers needed to be fed. So enterprising young Germans went out and started opening up food kiosks in order to feed all of these hungry workers. They popped up everywhere. One of these people who opened a food stand was Herta Heuer, who started a food kiosk selling sausages. But by 1949, she invented the new dish that we call currywurst. And here's how she did it. Really interesting. She saw British soldiers loved curry. They had been in India, which Britain was occupying at the time, and they had brought curry spices with them. So what Miss Heuer did was she took ketchup, added curry powder, and Worcestershire sauce, 
mixed it up into a sauce, and drizzled it over German sausages. So think about it. You've got curry powder, which is from India via Great Britain. You've got tomato ketchup, which is an American invention. You've got Worcestershire sauce, which was invented in the UK. And then what do you put on the side? French fries, of course, all on top of a German sausage. Brilliant, right? Well, it took off and became super popular. Miss Hewer became so famous that they eventually put up a plaque to commemorate where her food stand used to be at the corner of Kent and Kaiser Friedrich Streets, and you can still see that in Berlin. Today, though, there's currywurst stands on practically every corner. Some of them have lines that stretch for blocks. My favorite place is right in the middle of Mitt, the central section of Berlin. It's called, uh, it's a little pop-up tent that's called Curry at the Wall. And for about nine bucks or so, you can get your curry versed, you can get a drink, and you can get fries. And it's just this little unassuming pop-up tent, but the best part is they have a vegetarian version of curry versed made from seitan, I believe. It's delicious, and it's got the currywurst sauce on top, which is really the highlight of why you're going to get currywurst in the first place. If currywurst isn't the most famous and popular street food in Berlin, then Döner Kebab must be. For as many pop-up stands and little kiosks that serve currywurst, there's at least as many that serve Döner Kebab. And this dish is also not German in origin. In the 1950s, Turkish immigrants started to come to Germany. In fact, lots of them started to come in the 50s, 60s, and 70s because West Germany's unemployment rate was so low that they had to bring in foreign workers to do a lot of the work that needed to be done. So these Turkish immigrants come in, and what do they do? Of course, they start opening Turkish restaurants. Think of those giant slabs of meat on a rotisserie rotating and being sliced onto pita with yogurt sauce, salad, and a little bit of onion, and that's what Döner Kebab is. In Berlin, the most popular Döner Kebab place by far is Mustafa's. In fact, if you go there during the lunch hour or after the bars close in Berlin, you can be standing in line for 45 minutes or longer as it snakes down the block for people waiting for their Döner Kebab. I think that's crazy to wait that long for street food, but a lot of people make the pilgrimage to Berlin to get that Döner Kebab at Mustafa. So if that's your thing, just be aware you're probably going to be standing in line. For me, a better option would be to go to Adana Grillhouse. This is a sit-down restaurant and a place where you get your kebabs actually grilled over charcoal. But for me, my favorite kebab restaurant in all of Berlin is called Wuner. And it's actually a vegetarian restaurant, which might seem like an oxymoron. Why in the world would you have vegetarian kebab? It seems like the meat is the center of the sandwich. But in actuality, they make their kebabs with seitan. And it's delicious with all the toppings that go on. Fantastic. You might notice I've mentioned vegetarian restaurants quite a bit in this episode on Berlin, and that's for good reason. Berlin, being such a young, vibrant, artsy city, has a lot of vegetarian restaurants. So if you're vegetarian, don't be scared away from Berlin because you think it means just pork knuckle and schnitzel. There's tons of vegetarian restaurants in Berlin for you to enjoy, and your meat-eating friends will enjoy them too because the restaurants make very interesting, innovative food. 
So you're saying, all right, you've got Currywurst, that's from all these different countries. You've got Duner Kebab, that's from Turkey. Um, how about Schnitzel? That's got to be from Germany, right? No, Schnitzel's not from Germany either. Schnitzel's actually from Austria, the neighbor to the south of Germany. They brought Schnitzel into Germany. And of course, you can get Schnitzel everywhere in Germany, the most famous being Wiener Schnitzel. The thing about Wiener Schnitzel is Wiener Schnitzel can only be made out of veal. It's a law in Germany. It's protected so that anyone who sells Wiener Schnitzel must be selling veal. It's a pounded, they pound the meat, then they bread it, and then they fry it. Now, there are lots of other kinds of schnitzels. You can get pork schnitzel. You can get schnitzel made of beef and chicken and all these other kinds of schnitzels. But they can't be called Wiener Schnitzel unless they have veal. So know that when you're going to go get some schnitzel, it's not German. It's actually Austrian. The best place to get schnitzel is George Brau. They actually have a vegetarian schnitzel there as well, made of zucchini. But the real reason to go to George Brau is to get a beer. It's one of the best beer halls in Germany. Want to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. All the places mentioned in the podcast and lots more about Berlin is available at DestinationEatDrink.com. Okay, quick. What's the first thing you think of when I say drinking in Germany? Beer, right? Well, Munich is probably the best-known beer city in Germany, what with Oktoberfest and all. But there's plenty of the Sudsy stuff in Berlin as well. In fact, some of Munich's most famous breweries have opened in Berlin. The famous Hofbrauhaus has an outlet in Berlin, Germany. And it's not a little tiny knockoff either. This place is huge. 4,000 people can be crammed inside this place and you get great beer and of course all that German food too. Lohenbrau has a giant beer hall as well. And my favorite place that I mentioned earlier is called George Brau. They've got great food. Their menu is excellent. But instead of a giant beer hall, they have several smaller rooms where you can go in, you can dine, you can drink and whatever. There's also outdoor seating if you want more of that communal giant feeling. It's almost like a beer garden, but it's more of a sit-down atmosphere at George Brau. One of the cool things you can do at George Brau is if you're going to have a large party, if you phone ahead, they'll sell you a keg of beer and wheel it right up to your table. 10 liters or 20 liters, which is, you know, a lot of beer. But if you've got 8, 10 people there, it might be just the thing that you want to be drinking. Now, generally, these beer halls are fairly limited as to what they're going to be serving you, whether it's a light beer or a dark beer or maybe some kind of combination of beer and some kind of sweet uh, juice or soda or something like that. But the options are normally fairly limited. But now, craft beer is starting to take over Germany as it has in the United States. There's lots and lots of places that are doing microbreweries, even nano microbreweries all over Berlin, Germany. And they're expanding your choices from just light beer or dark beer. My favorite place is a place called Vagabund, and it's a brewery run by three Americans 
but they have lots of different choices. And the great thing about these little craft brew places is that you go in and they're constantly rotating their taps. They're doing different kinds of experiments with beers. So every time you go in, you might get to try something new. Another great one is called Hops and Barley. And they have an excellent unfiltered Pilsner. Really, really good. Love having that Pilsner beer when I'm in Germany. So hunt these places out, Vagabond and Hops and Barley, when you're out drinking in Germany. Subscribe to Destination Eat Drink at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or at RadioMisfits.com. We're also now on Spotify. Since I'm recording this just before Christmas, I thought I'd mention one of the big attractions in Berlin this time of year is the Christmas markets. All over Germany, all over Europe, really, these Christmas markets pop up. And in Berlin, there's over 70 Christmas markets that you can visit. And at these places, they have traditional Christmas food to be sold, but also toys and ornaments and all kinds of gifts. Plus, there'll often be performances, music, Christmas plays, things like that. It's a nice place just to hang out, stroll around, watch people, and maybe buy a glass of glue vine, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. My favorite Christmas market is the uh, one at Gendermen Market. Uh, that's a square in Berlin. And the reason that one, it's, a, it's more of a high-end market, but it only costs a euro to get in. And it's surrounded by beautiful German buildings. So it's a great atmosphere to be able to go to the uh, Gendermen market. My other favorite Christmas market is in the old East Berlin near Alexanderplatz on Spandauer Street. This is one of the biggest Christmas markets in Berlin. And it's big because there's a huge skating rink right in the middle. And encircling around the rink, there's these old-time stalls that have been decorated where everyone sells their little Christmas toys, their Christmas food. It's a great place to hang out and see Germans having fun uh, near Alexanderplatz. That's a really good Christmas market, too. But like I said, there's tons of them. There's over 70 in Berlin. The one thing that you have to do when you visit a Christmas market, though, is you have to get Glühwein, which is a mulled wine that's sold at the Christmas markets. Uh, they sell them in these cool little ceramic mugs, usually, which are festive, and you give a couple of euros as a deposit to ensure that you return your mug. But you have this warm glue vine, you sip on it, it warms you up, you wander around, you maybe buy some food or some toys at the Christmas market, and it's just a quintessentially German activity to do. It's a lot of fun to have your glue vine. If you don't go to the if you don't go to the Christmas market, you can still get glue vine. Um, you'll see little card tables in front of shops, and they'll have one of those coffee canisters, insulated coffee canisters, sitting out on top of this card table, and it'll say two euros, and there'll be a paper cup next to it and you just fill up your cup you have your glue vine you leave a couple euro and you're on your way everyone makes glue vine at home as well during christmas all the german homes will have glue vine for anyone who stops by so look for glue vine you want to you want to have that when you visit germany things to do and places to see i don't know what do you want to do on destination eat drink Culturally, Berlin is probably most famous for all the museums that are there. In fact, there's a place called Museum Island 
And you know, if you've got a place called Museum Island, you've got a lot of museums. They have tons of museums, big, famous museums, museums of Egyptian history, museums of German art, uh, new uh, museums. So lots of big museums. You should visit them, but I'm not going to talk about them here. Instead, I'm going to focus on three places that I think you should go that are maybe not quite as well known as some of the other blockbuster sites. The first of these is Otto Wheat's Workshop for the Blind. Now, this is a little dusty museum in a tiny little corner of Berlin, but it's worth your time to go. Here's why. Otto Wheat had this workshop, a little factory where he made brushes and brooms and broom handles, things of that nature. And it's called Workshop for the Blind because he employed blind Jews to work in the factory. And as you can imagine, this was a big problem when the fascists came to power in the 1920s. And as Otto saw what was happening, as Jews were being deported to concentration camps, he fought back. He did his best to keep the Jews in his factory continuing to work there. When he saw that that was not going to work, he hid Jews in a secret cupboard in the back of the factory. And he was successfully able to save a lot of Jewish people from being murdered in concentration camps by the Nazis. If you go to this museum, it's free admission. There's often tours there as well on the weekend. But if you go there, you'll see the factory is set up much like it would have looked in the 1940s. There's lots of uh, plaques showing the story of Otto and his workers, and it's a fascinating story. It's also a very moving story that you'll learn about Otto and his workers who he tried to save from the death camps. After the war, of course, Berlin was divided in half. Half East Germany, controlled by the Russians, and half West Germany, controlled by the Allies, the French, the British, and the Americans. And a lot of people think that it was just halfway right down the middle of Germany. But the fact of the matter is, Berlin was way in the middle of what was then known as East Germany. So West Berlin itself was like a tiny little island of freedom and democracy in this giant red Soviet-controlled country. So you can imagine when the wall went up in 1961, it was a terrifying experience for the people in East Germany and in West Germany because they became even more isolated at that point. Lots of people tried to escape. Lots of people were killed trying to escape from East Germany. But finally, in 1989, the wall came down. If you go to Berlin now, of course, there's only small little remnants of the wall that are left. But the most interesting place to see a remnant of the wall is called the East Side Gallery. This is where the Berlin Wall, at least parts of it, still stand. And what people have done is they've drawn murals on the wall. The actual Berlin Wall has murals on it now at the East Side Gallery. And I think it's incredible because these garish, giant, interesting, colorful murals show freedom of expression directly on one of the biggest symbols of oppression of the 20th century. It's really quite interesting to see this right on the Berlin Wall. 
That's at the East Side Gallery. Berlin is definitely known for its street art scene, and you can see cool street art murals in a lot of different places. Eastside Gallery is one of them, of course. But a really cool place to go is called House Schwarzenberg Street Art Gallery. This place, it's easy to miss. It's a little alley that you go down, and on the, on the walls of the alley are painted these giant colorful murals of street art. Interesting, fascinating, thought-provoking stuff. Um, they're often painted over, so the stuff that I saw when I went there, it may change by the time you get there, but it's always interesting stuff. I'll tell you of my favorite mural there, though, and hopefully it's going to last a long time because I think it's really interesting and thought-provoking. There's a giant mural of a monkey taking a picture with his cell phone which is somehow a commentary on our selfie culture that we live in right now. And of course, what I did was took my phone out of my pocket and took a picture of it <laughs> because I'm part of this selfie culture too now, I guess. But you look at all of these different things. There was a mural of Kurt Cobain and of David Bowie there. There's some stuff that you can't even dream of figuring out there but it's all really interesting and thought-provoking. And you walk down this little alley and you get deeper and deeper and it gets weirder and cooler. And it's a cool place to go. At the end of the alley, you climb these stairs and you visit Nero Titan. This is a little store. I don't know if it can figure out what it wants to be. It's part comic book and zine store. It's part art gallery. It's part record store. All of it mishmashed into one and just seems like it totally works in Berlin. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat Drink. If you go to Berlin, don't bother renting a car. Berlin's a huge city and driving can be stressful. Parking can be expensive. And Berlin has one of the best public transit systems in all of Europe. The U-Bahn is the underground subway system. It's quick and efficient. And if you're doing a lot of sightseeing, you should get a one-day or a seven-day public transport pass so you can go, come and go as much as you please. We use the U-Bahn extensively when we visit Berlin and find it to always be on time, to be clean, and to be very efficient. Or if you're planning on seeing a lot of museums during your trip, you can get something called the 72-hour Museum Island Berlin Welcome Card. It's about 50 bucks, and you get discounted missions to a couple hundred different places, all kinds of attractions and whatnot. But in addition, you also get free public transportation for those 72 hours. Just make sure that you're going to use it. You don't want to blow 50 bucks and then decide you're not going to go to the museums or not use public transportation. If you simply must have a bottle of that beer that you had at the beer garden or at the craft brew place, I would say make sure that you use something called wine wings. Um, they're good for bringing home wine. Of course, it also works for beer. They're bottle-shaped bubble wrap. You slide the bottle in, you uh, clip the zip top, and then you fold over the Velcro tab, and it's safe for putting inside your luggage. Just remember, if you put that in your luggage, you will have to check the bag. You can't carry it on. 
And the other thing is declare at customs if you're bringing any alcohol into the country. You don't want to get fined for not bring for not declaring your alcohol. And the first bottle or two of beer is free of duty, so you won't be taxed on it. When you go to Berlin, it's easy to get sucked down a couple of different rabbit holes. And while it's important to see a lot of these sites, it's also important not to let them define your Berlin experience. Um, the first one is the World War II Holocaust rabbit hole. And it's very important to see those sites. Um, there is the uh, Memorial to the Murdered Jews of Europe uh, site that you should definitely see. It's moving and it's incredibly thought-provoking. Um, so you should go see that. You should see the stumbling stones that are all over Berlin that show you the places where Jewish people lived and uh, where they lived before they were taken to concentration camps to be killed. Also very moving. There are plenty of World War II sites to see as well, but it can get a little bit depressing to be looking at Nazi sites over and over and over again. You've got to kind of pair that with more uplifting sites. That said, Berlin has an unbelievable 24-hour party culture, and you can get sucked down the rabbit hole of being in discos and raves all night long. And that's not something you want to do either for obvious reasons. Berlin has both a vibrant cultural scene and a vibrant art scene. You want to make both of them part of your trip to Berlin. Well, that's it for this week's Destination Eat Drink. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, or on Stitcher, or listen at radiomisfits.com. And all the places that I've talked about and much, much more is available at DestinationEatDrink.com. Destination Eat Drink, the podcast, is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks, Ed Silla. And I'll talk to you next week for another great culinary adventure. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.